Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Greetings and welcome to Mount Rushmore. My name is Jeff and I'm joined, as per usual, by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Miguel. Howdy. Uh, these guys, they discuss, they deliberate, they debate the most ubiquitous four of any given topic, and this week is no different when we discuss the Mount Rushmore of Imposter Richardo. Why did you chose this? Before I talk about that, I just want to say, welcome back to the uh, the judging throne. Oh, thanks. Jeff. It was a rough couple of weeks. Uh, I have to admit that it wasn't me uh, who was a competitor. What? <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Snap zoom on Michael? Snap zoom on Richard? <laughs> It was an imposter. Oh, was it your brother? That's right. Yep. <laughs> no wonder it went so well. <laughs> no wonder it was. Uh, the points were articulate and well well placed. So no, I, I I guess I picked this. I've always had sort of a fascination, as as we've kind of learned before. With you know, I came up with the hoaxes one, and some of the topics I've come up with kind of are around this sort of idea of people portraying something that they're not or portraying a situation where that that's not real or hmm. sort of just around the fringes of what is actual reality. Conspiracies know? was yours too. That was another one, yeah. <laughs> How much your topics uh, shed light on your intellect, your your profile, your Yeah, that you could yeah, you could have, you could have a fucking field day with this guys. <laughs> for for it is like, no, nope, I pretty much got it in like a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, this is easy, guys. Knock this one out. Next. So there's a theme I, I guess so. I guess, you know, that's something that's always kind of interested me. People, this one specifically, people who are able to inhibit a com- inhabit a com- either a completely new persona or bring in elements of their persona that just don't exist. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, so, Richard, you have chose it. So, Michael, you will start it. My first choice is an action figure. Oh, dear. Wait. Are we doing the same topic here? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Faker, the oh. robotic evil He-Man from the Masters of the Universe oh my God. <laughs> uh, line of toys. Was he also in the TV series? He was. Okay. Then I feel better about this one. Okay. I mean, most of most of whatever was on TV was on the toys or vice versa because one was selling oh, yeah. the other. And right. Way. Exactly. Um, Faker was a robot that was built by um, the evil uh, Skeletor. Uh, to kind of uh, uh, infiltrate Castle Grayskull or get next to King Randor or something to uh-huh. pose as He-Man and do, do evil things. Uh. The only trouble with Faker was that he was blue, had orange hair, <laughs> and like an orange breastplate that was like in the style of Skeletor. So here's, a, here's a picture of Faker. Yeah. Who is who is getting fooled mm-hmm. by that? Well, the colorblind... Uh... People who hang out with He-Man's colorblind friends. He had a uh, Latoy had a big like sticker showing that he was a robot in oh. case you couldn't tell, and um, it was so obviously a fake. Yeah, uh, you know, hence the name. Um, but what I I think it really played into was Skeletor's uh, his sense of worth. Yeah, where he built a robot that was in the shape of He-Man, mm-hmm. but basically. Looks exactly like him. Yes, yes. He's blue. He's wearing the same outfit, basically. Uh-huh. So in the tradition of orange-haired individuals mm-hmm. who are blatantly out up to no Cindy good. Cindy Lauper? <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. That's right where I was going. Oompa Loompas one through five. Also from the 80s, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
what uh, do you suspect that they said we've got these leftover he-mans that yes. actually got injected by blue plastic <laughs> i think well, one thing that you'll notice in like the toy line especially is that like the parts are very interchangeable mm-hmm. like all of the like he-man's like you know this huge built guy but man at arm is is as built as him yeah skeletor is the same body yeah type. right they're all just like there's slight variations on whether you're like a good guy or a bad yeah. guy yeah like either you're a bad guy and you have like these three like toad claw feet or uh-huh. like you're a good guy and you have like Bowl cut haircut. <laughs> yeah. Boots. Yeah. But they're all they're all just kind of repaint a lot of them are just like repaints and reused legs and uh-huh. torsos and arms <laughs> and stuff. But I love the idea that uh yeah, they just got the, the batch wrong and they're yeah. like, uh, what are we doing? <laughs> or maybe something was like faxed over to uh, China or wherever it was made <laughs> and just the colors were yeah. wrong and they're like, Are you sure? They're like, pretty sure. Right. <laughs> this brings up, I think, a compelling point in that uh Imposters are sometimes self-created, but they might somehow be created by someone else. Um, think of the uh, individuals, if not to look at it from a political standpoint, but all the candidates who are kind of uh, strings have been pulled by somebody, somebody, <laughs> somebody with an agenda. Yeah, and um, also the idea that. Uh, much of what makes a successful imposter is not their behavior, but the gullible <laughs> willingness of all the idiots around them to, or their inability to uh, maybe think a little bit kind of abstractly and wonder who the fuck this person is in front of them isn't who they say they are. The um, There was a difference with in, in the cartoon series, like Faker was like, he looked exactly like He-Man. Mm-hmm. He had like... Uh, uh, you know, like the uh, blonde bowl cut, blonde bowl cut, and he had more of He-Man's skin color and everything. So, like, I guess in yeah. the cartoon, you could be like, okay, I, I understand that that's what they're going for. Yeah. for Guys, the kids. He-Man's not looking really good. I think he's got like, <laughs> is, can John just make you blue? <laughs> yeah. uh, one of my favorite things, though, and under like abilities, yeah, uh, for the for the toy, it says uh, superhuman strength, which okay, that's sure. nice, and then near perfect replica of He-Man, and like, <laughs> that's, an <ability>. that's way <laughs> off. <laughs> Uh, very specific. It's a very good thing there's somebody called He-Man who looked <laughs> yeah. like him. Yeah. Otherwise, he would just be a blue a guy who's he'd be like blue man, like bulky blue man group guy. <laughs> the the character of He-Man. Where did this come from? Originated in the comics? I was never a He-Man. It's a German fairy tale. Uh, originally, yeah, uh, they were trying to do a toy. It came out of two places. They were trying to do like a toy series based on Conan the Barbarian, oh. and they couldn't quite get the uh, like the rights settled with Mattel. Oh. And then there was also another toy line called like Big John or something, mm. and it was like the, this this kind of melting melting of like these two properties mm-hmm. into. There's a great like uh, Masters of the Universe, like the making or like a, oh, yeah. a history of it. Okay, that kind of goes into it. But basically, they were like, oh, what's they came up with a new like size toy, mm-hmm. which was different. You know, this, the action yeah. figure size was reduced from these bigger toys from the seventies, you know, that were like mm-hmm. nine, 10 inches tall that like, a, I don't know, like a, what, what's that movie that a 40 year old virgin that he has all the, the different action figures of, uh, what is that? G.I. Joe, doesn't he? He has G.I. Joe, but he has something. Was he, it a Western? No. Okay. Who's it's it? a Schindler's list. <laughs> awful anyway he has he has a bunch of toys that were like you know 10 inch tall toys or 12 inch tall Uh mega toys yeah but mattel kind of figured out how to kind of reduce them in size and i think it was they wanted something bigger than what star wars toys were yeah those like you know three and three quarter inch toys but something that was not like like stretch armstrong there or like the wwf million dollar man is what i'm thinking okay right or uh uh yeah is it 
not Ted, not Ted DiBiase. What? I was thinking <laughs> WWF, <laughs> LJN wrestler guys six, again. The $6 million man uh, toys is what he collected uh-huh. on the 40 year old run. But anyway, so they wanted their own kind of unique toy size, but wanted like all these different elements of like, they wanted fantasy and weapons and accessories yeah. and things that they could play with that were, you know, mm-hmm. but regardless, it was basically came out of that, that, that you know, He-Man from the toys to when it became a cartoon mm-hmm. sort of changed. Oh, like okay. The original He-Man comic of He-Man, he was just like some barbarian doof. Oh, okay. And then it turned into this whole nonsense with Prince Adam. Uh-huh. Yada, yada. Well, cool. So we've uh, let off with that. Richard, what's your first? Okay, so my first one is sports. <laughs> just wanted to let you guys, a warning, trigger warning for uh, our friend Browntown. I've been triggered. <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, he stopped listening. <laughs> oh, as, as most people have. My first one is a man called Barry Bremen. And he was known as the Great Imposter. He was a uh, novelty goods salesman kind of in the 70s and 80s, who one day got bored and decided he wanted to uh, live out a little bit of a, almost like a Walter Mitty sort of lifestyle. So his first thing he did in the 1979 All-Star Game he was able to somehow procure like the warm-up suit from a Kansas back then Kansas City Kings mm-hmm. player. I've seen a few it. weeks I've before. I've seen NBA games the Kansas City Kings. Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah. you? I'm old school. Yeah, or just old. Well, just old. Yeah, no school. And so the all when the All Star game came around to Detroit, which is where he lived, he managed to put on the, the uh, suit, and he he was like six four, so he was like mm-hmm. kind of a big, athletic-looking mm-hmm. guy, and sneak onto the court for warm-ups. All right. For the All-Star game. And like got there and shot layups and nobody really noticed uh-huh. until about halfway through when everyone's like, wait, I don't <laughs> remember playing against him. Yeah. And there's a guy on the on the Kings who's like, wait, he's my teammate. I don't remember seeing him, <laughs> which makes you wonder how much cocaine was going right, on yeah. in the NBA <laughs> in 1979. But they kind of like that. The, he was like, yeah, I just kind of came out here. I thought it'd be fun. And they let him kind of just hang out for the rest of. Not just the uh, the warm ups. He then went and started sitting down on the bench because he attained lovable scamp status. Yes. <laughs> wow. It was like obvious that like he's not trying to hurt anybody. Yeah. You know, so none of the players just thought it was funny. Yeah. And it's amazing how it's changed in terms of like liabilities <laughs> and lawsuits. And oh yeah. Like oh, we'll, we'll get into this. Yeah. So he goes and sits down on the bench for a couple of minutes until a security guard comes over and is like, "You gotta leave." And he's like, "Oh, okay, yeah." Mm-hmm. So he did this and he wound up getting on The Tonight Show because of this. Wow. Like all this coverage. Mm -hmm. So he kind of took this as, huh, maybe I can do more with this. So I think his next stunt was he came onto the field. He managed to sneak onto the sidelines as a Dallas uh, Cowgirls cheerleader during a game. front door. 6'4". Lost 25 pounds for the role. Had a custom suit made with like big, big, you know, thick Uh boobs and the Uh whole nine yards. Didn't last very long on that one. Yeah. Uh, the cowboy security showed up and uh, roughed him up pretty good and, and mm-hmm. gave him the old uh, yeah. heave-ho on that yeah. one. Um, he managed to get on the field during the... Uh, That's when underpants and shirts just had built-in handles that were just yeah. built. That you'd just sewn in, <laughs> yeah. that you could pick them yeah. up and just toss them out. Like so a, a bouncer in a bar <laughs> could grab you and toss you They're up. They're called the Andy Caps. The Andy Caps, yeah. They just... <laughs> um, he managed to sneak onto the field during an MLB All-Star game for warm-ups. Um, that one, actually, he had the help of the sports writer, uh, Dick Schapp, ah. who had become friendly with him through his kind of exploits and thought, oh, here's something we could do. Mm-hmm. So he actually got George Brett roped into this. 
Um, they managed to sneak him into the uh, into the dugout when they were doing warm ups, and he hid out in the sauna for a couple of hours and had a, a had an authentic uh, New York Yankees outfit, like uh-huh. cap, hat, whole nine yards, yeah. and then just went out there and started take, shagging you know foul balls and yeah. throwing around with everybody. And it managed to get into a couple of the team photos before they realized who he was and yeah. shoot him away. This is the man that least benefited from high definition television. Yeah, <laughs> lower the, or just high. Well, it's also you got to keep in mind late seventies, early eighties. Everything was SD, mm-hmm. just life. Yeah, just yeah. life. Not even pictures. Not even not even yeah. TV. Just everything was yeah. like four eighty. Like Pittsburgh was still black and white. I think I'm pretty. Sure, so, I'm not yeah. sure they had television yeah. back then in Pittsburgh. It seems like this guy being somewhat like the poor man's George Plimpton. You know, like like. Whereas, but not even actually doing anything. <laughs> not even doing. He's not learning the sport. And then also, I can imagine, like, imagine being the the manager on one of those teams, and it's like, get out of here, you know, um, get out of here, Barry Bremen. Yeah. And also, that picture that I have. Can you leave too? Yeah. Can you take him? Are, wait, are you a lefty? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's your curveball situation like? <laughs> Hang on a second. So, so he wound up. He wound up. He wound up doing that. I think some of the other ones he did. Oh, he got onto the field during a World Series game with the rest of the uh, umpiring crew, and was actually out there for the national anthem. Um, the one that he said that he did regret. He got into the Emmys, and when Betty Betty Thomas, the uh, Hill Street Blues yeah. uh, actress, he thought that she was not there. So when she won, it was announced as a winner for an award. He came up there and accepted on her behalf. Oh, wow. And it turned out she actually was there, and she was like halfway down the stage trying to get wow. her. Wow. So he said he felt really bad about that. Like he, he wouldn't have, Yeah, he wouldn't have done it if he uh, knew that he, she was actually so there. So an imposter with a conscience who has clearly some kind of nuanced motivation for... Is, it, is, it, is he like kind of like the, uh, because it's there, because I can? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I think it's kind of the art of the... I think partially it was about the art of the uh, deception. Mm-hmm. Or how, do I, how do I go about doing it? Like, you know, he... Or was it because he could go on a talk show and talk about it? I think it's probably both. Oh. I think I think you know, he's a big sports fan. Uh-huh. He got a chance to hobnob. I mean, when he first did it, it was kind of like on a bet. But you know, as you kind of go on, he's he became more famous. He was on Letterman. He was on all these talk shows. Um, Can you imagine going through life with such confidence? Yeah, yeah. The balls and this guy <laughs> like likes, that's a, that's amazing to me that you're just yeah. like, well, I'm just going to go do this thing. I can get away with it, and I I can just act the part. And yeah. Uh, it, it, it's like ten percent planning and ninety percent just sheer balls. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was like a novelty salesman. He was somebody who just his kids later said like, yeah, he was just bored selling like you know booby stress balls or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he decided this would be something that'd be more fun to do. Yeah. So he wound up he would sneak on the course during like U.S. Open uh, golf uh, like the practice rounds. And he was able to play a couple of practice rounds, like full yeah. rounds, like nobody came in and, and, wow. and took him off. Yeah. Well, his last thing he did, I think. Uh, it was the 19, it was like 86 or 87 All-Star Game. And it was in New York. And he did the same thing where he snuck on the field. And Tommy Lasorda found him out. And I will, we'll post this on the uh, on the website and the social media. There's a clip of Tommy Lasorda harassing him off the field and screaming and yelling obscenities. Who the fuck do you think you yeah. are? And, this, and poor Bears, I'm sorry. You know, I just thought, it'd be, you know, it's just fun. It's something yeah. I do. What kind of fucking respect do you? It's just like ba 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 ba, and then the then the Met security came and they apparently were not too nice to him <laughs> this time when they they moved when they got him into the uh, into the Huskow. Seems like as closer we get in history towards uh, actual stalking laws and things. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's like you 
And Michael, you said this early. He kind of said after that, it's like, yeah, this is getting to be different than when I started doing it like 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine post 9-11, some dude just wandering out onto the court, trying to wander out onto mm-hmm. the court like in an NBA all-star game or a baseball game or coming out of the trees during a golf tournament to <laughs> yeah. try and play a practice round and everyone yeah. being like, oh, okay, he seems harmless enough. Yeah. I mean, to, to some extent, yeah. After he had done it a few times, people knew who he was. Mm-hmm. They have so if you're a golfer and you saw him come out, and he actually was like a five handicap or something like that. Mm-hmm. But if you saw him come out of the woods and saw him, you're like, oh, it's that Barry Bremham guy. So after a while, I think he became... Yeah. And imagine it became harder for him to do it because people just knew who he was. Mm-hmm. Scamp laws were a lot, Scamp, a lot yeah. looser back yeah. then. Yeah. A lot more accepting. There's a lovable, but you could also think you could be an irascible scamp or an incorrigible scamp was mm-hmm. also I right think there were different scamp status right and he seemed to be more of the lovable everyone lovable. seemed to really like him so well, it probably helped if you're morgana they don't like tase you <laughs> they just say we appreciate that would have been incredible though if that would have happened right just and here comes morgana oh my god <laughs> you think the guy that sold booby stress balls and morgana would have made a really <laughs> just a big hit together a really dream team um morgana was a dream team High five. You hear that? Audience, that was a high five. Insert slapping I earned that one. Uh, Michael, second. Uh, My next one is a two for one, and that is the uh, R&B group, Millie Vanilli. Oh, yay. 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 Uh, Everyone knows who Millie Vanilli are. Um, Fab Morvan and Rob Pilatus, uh, who were a R&B group who had one super... Super huge uh, hit, Girl, You Know It's True. Yeah. Um, and then it was later revealed that they didn't actually do true. any of the singing on it. Yeah. Um, apparently, it was that song was recorded before they were even hired by like the guy that created the group. Oh, well. That they were just hired to be the faces of it. Uh-huh. And according to them, they were, you know, under contract to be these impersonators yeah. and be just kind of the face of the group. And it it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, at some point, you have to take a little bit of ownership on going out and lip syncing and faking yeah. and being imposter of a musician. Uh, I think my favorite thing about them, other than the, 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 them going out on stage at some performance and just their the the track getting up. this was on MTV, yeah, getting on like uh, the on uh, what was the name of their uh, the dance show? Your the grind was the, the grind. grind. The grind with downtown Julie Brown. Yeah, not that uh, I not 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 the ever watched yeah. or masturbated to it, Jeff. <laughs> it wasn't that they. It was it was it was a performance where they came out and like the track skipped uh-huh. and they didn't know what to do, so they just kind of faked it. Then eventually ran off the stage, which yeah. which I'm kind of a little proud of. It's like the it's the opposite of like super confidence uh-huh. of the you know the the previously mentioned guy. It's just like uh, we gotta go. Yeah, but it was. It was later after they had won like a Grammy for best new artist for like the song and or I don't know if they, they won best new artist or best song as well. But uh, they had this press conference where they came out to kind of address the allegations of lip syncing. Yeah. And one of the guys just started singing and it was so terrible. <laughs> and then all the press started clapping and cheering for him. And it was like, what are you doing? What are you doing he, hasn't, anymore? he hasn't proved anything. That's he's, funny. he's proved the opposite. Yeah. He's proved that he can't sing. Yeah. And then he immediately sits down and says, uh, we'd like to give this Grammy back. <laughs> That's hilarious. But it's so funny that like in an age where 
performances in general, or at least, you know, there's like big kind of Super Bowl performance type yeah. things and live things, there's some sort of, all right, maybe they're lip syncing. Maybe yeah. they're trying to, you know, they're performing a bit, basically. They're not, you know, maybe they're singing, you know, in the studio, but if you're p- performing live, it's ki- kind of accepted or it's known at least nowadays yeah right or it's kind of like you know it's not the end of the world if you realize that the pop singer who is running around on stage with like a headset isn't actually singing it's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know pre-recorded track yeah, yeah but i think back then it kind of removed some of like the you know what behind the scenes you're like oh that's well that's just not cool yeah and you know i think live versus uh recording is the crux of the problem that the music industry uh, trying to create a quality product and then trying to keep artists on the road touring uh, kind of happened at the same time that um, the singer-songwriter movement came around so that in previous decades, an entertainer had no responsibility whatsoever to create or originate the work that they mm-hmm. were presenting. And then after Bob fucking Dylan and, and Joan Baez and all these people who, part of their authenticity was the fact that they wrote this song, that it, it is penned entirely by themselves gave authorship so much more importance. So uh, like uh, Frank Farian, who created Millie, Millie Vanilli, had another band, Boney M, that was incredibly popular. <laughs> you know, that's it's, what we call Richard. <laughs> Boney M was like that's the true, biggest... So tall. It's like the biggest pop act in Europe. And that had one... F- it was just all fake <laughs> people for the most part. So, well, but the village people. The village, village like people. Like only two of them actually sang, like the lead singer and then one of the other guys sang yeah. and everybody else was just lip syncing. I, I, I hope it's the same way as like the Spice Girls where everyone's like, oh yeah, well, you know, Scary Spice is the one that can really sing or, yeah. or uh, you know, uh, who's the other one? You it know. was either Sporty or... Spo- sp- guys, Sporty is the one that can sing. Do you think there was like people sitting around going... Well, it's the Indian. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Indian that can... It's, no, no, no. It's no, a policeman. Construction worker. Construction worker. But, yeah. yeah. I think the it's the kind of musical equivalent of a, 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 um, a performer wearing makeup on, on film or television. They're, and then saying, I always look like this. Hmm. Mill, Millie Vanilli or, seemed like the cardinal sin they committed was by claiming that they actually did it and then saying they were also better than, than, than Paul McCartney and that, the Rolling Stones. That's a bit of a push. Yeah, they said the, all the shit. Maybe the confidence is back in these guys too. Maybe a lot of our choices so far are... It's, all, it's 10% what you say, 90% how you say yeah. it. So, uh, 5% but, orange hair. Yeah. It, so this is fundamentally different than the monkeys, Yeah, we think. Yeah. Because there wasn't there... <clears throat> but I guess to your point, wasn't there also an issue of authenticity... With the monkeys, in that, you know, they were this prefabricated, prefabricated uh-huh. pop group that didn't, in the beginning, play their own music, even though on the show it looked like they did, uh-huh. and really only partially sang on their songs. Yeah, you know, whoever's lead singer was, a couple of them sang, most it's, of them didn't. I'm just think, you know, they the, didn't write their own songs. Yeah, the 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 artifice, the the entertainment industry has always been the entertainment industry, not the truth or reality industry right <laughs> but, but there's something about um the political climate uh in the 60s that gave way to artists who were supposed to have some kind of integrity musical or otherwise and then all this all the entire en- entertainment industry was now evaluated differently than it ever was before um so i think that's so funny because they they hadn't been doing anything they didn't do anything differently than the predecessors right before that yeah, yeah. oh you want some ugly ass producer up there dancing around <laughs> you, you don't want that that's that's fascinating uh and they they 
I guess it almost speaks to, sorry to cut you off, it almost speaks to what's more important is, is it the image of the group? Is it the authenticity of the group? Or is it the music? Yeah. And at some point, you can accept just the music and enjoy the music on its own. Although I don't know the last time I've heard Girl, you know, it's true. Yeah. Even in jest, I think that there must have been something that kind of broke like that off as like, mm-hmm. oh, you, we just don't even listen to it anymore, even as like a joke track. Yeah. Uh, so like the image or the facade or the music, like at some point, one of them kind of takes precedent. Yeah. And uh, well, I think with the monkeys, they they did sing on the tracks. So that was... Um, one level of authenticity. Mm. They didn't have auto-tuning, which we've uh, crucified artists before for using auto-tuning. But yeah, I do, do find that interesting because they're crucified uh, on a cross that didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and if Milli Vanilli existed today, they would just auto-tune their bad singing. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been an issue. Or they would somehow be a... Um, <clears throat> Like some of these like K-pop groups or J-pop groups, like they're they're an organization. They're not necessarily the people you see on stage are yeah. part of this organization. It's kind of the mafia. Yeah, yeah. It's very very yeah. suspicious. Well, that's cool. Okay, Richard, what's your second one? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the authenticity or lack thereof or truth in in entertainment. Oh, so well, can we discuss the crying Indian, Iron Ice Cody? Oh yeah, who is neither crying nor an Indian. Yeah. Nor American, from what I understand. No, he was. Um, oh, he so was? he was. I'm sure everyone, if, if even if you're not of a certain age, like like yeah. Jeff and I, old farts old. are, um, the crying Indian from the 1970s, early 1980s anti pollution ads, where someone would throw a uh, plastic bottle or other trash at his feet, and you just pan up to him. Yeah. In this very traditional, you know, Buffalo Bill Wild West show type outfit, yeah. to his his. Indian face and the single tear coming down. And then it would be pollution. <laughs> it's a crying shame. The tear that you could even tell in that unsophisticated uh, days that was some kind of silic- silicate. Oh, it's glycerin, kind of, yeah. <laughs> glycerin. That's a, that, so that was my point. First off, yeah, it, A, it was glycerin. So we know that. But then B, turns out Iron Ice Cody, who had claimed to be part Cree and part uh, Cherokee, actually named Aspera Oscar de Cordy. Yeah. Um, was born in southwestern Louisiana to uh, recent Sicilian immimmigrants. This is a real Pocahontas Elizabeth Warren situation we got going on right <laughs> now. It's, 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 it, it goes deeper than that, Michael. Um, and yeah, he they wound up move family moved around, wound up moving to Texas. His dad owned like a, some sort of ranch there. And one day his dad leased out part of the ranch to, for a film shoot. This would have been like in the 1920s, early 1930s. And it was a Western, and he just loved the idea. So he decided, well, I'm, this, is what, this is what I want to do. I want to be an actor in the Westerns. So instead of being an actor, not, there's not a lot of call for, there wasn't a lot of call for Sicilian yeah. Western stars. That would have been another 40 years yeah. until we really got into the need for that. <laughs> so, Rigatoni Red. There's not enough room in this town for two pasta bars. <laughs> So we wound up, so he wound up t- uh, changing his last name to Cody, like Buffalo Bill Cody, uh. but then changing his first name to Iron Eyes Cody and presenting himself as a Native American. Mm-hmm. Again, someone who has invented this whole backstory about himself, how he was part Cree, part Cherokee. Mm-hmm. His dad had worked in the Wild West shows, and that's how he learned all these like roping trips, tricks and all this stuff. Yeah. And he was an actor. You know, he was in, I don't know, 200 movies. Wow. All kinds of TV shows. I mean, he was in 
I have a list here. And he's in Ernest Goes to Camp, for God's sake. Oh. I mean, what more do you want? Mm. No, but he was in he, he was in a ton of movies. He was somebody who had allegedly met with every president since FDR to talk about Native American issues. Was somebody who presented himself as very much this icon of kind of popular culture for Native Americans and someone who is a voice for them. Even though a lot of um, actual Native American actors were like, huh, that story doesn't check out yeah. at all. And that headdress doesn't really make any sense for what, hmm. But it, it kind of just sort of no one really mm-hmm. said anything about it until mid-90s uh, reporter from the uh, newspaper in New Orleans started doing some tracking down his background and you know got his birth certificate. And hey, <laughs> that's a really, that's a one Italian last <laughs> name and talked to his half-sister. He's like, yeah, one day he just left. And next thing we knew, he was in he was Indian. <laughs> Do you think this is a case, especially with like the uh, kind of polluting the anti pollution campaign, where the image is more important than being authentic? Mm. That the idea mm-hmm. of Native Americans being of the land and would be the ones that are the most hurt by it, or the, that was the most whole, connected. That was the whole point of the campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is that. Like, like obviously, that image still resonates. And right, it's, it's been mocked and and you know, it's been kind of replicated before. I like at some point, I, obviously, the expose in the '90s probably kind of rewrote a whole bunch of just the history of that and what people actually felt. I, I'm sure that like going through it and you're like, "Holy shit, this is like an important issue." But now it's like, "Well, fuck that guy." Yeah, I, and then but then there's the case of like, "Well, he was just an actor being playing a part." But then he was seemingly uh, playing a part. Yeah, if they had hired an, an, like a Sicilian American guy to play the part of an Indian <laughs> yeah. guy, would it, like that's a good point. Would 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 that campaign have worked as well, or people have been like, "What the fuck's going on here?" Do you think most? I, I'm guessing. Again, I wonder we, if most people wouldn't even notice. Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, back uh, in the '70s, it's not like the fitting. idea of, of black, you know, quote unquote, blackface or redface or whatever was considered to be as much of a a problem as and it there was is like, today. There was no like, you know, immediate place where you could look it up and research it and check it off and be like, and call him out on it. Yeah. He right just away. basically denied it till the, till, till the day he died. And, but you know, he married a, an, a native American woman who was actually worked at the Southwest museum up here in, in Los Angeles, up in a, right by the Autry uh-huh. um, as a, a, a researcher and historian for uh, for Native American issues, mm-hmm. he, Adop- gets a, he gets a pass. Then adopt yeah. adopted two Native American children and lived his life as a Native American. So it does kind of make that, very interesting that Rachel Dozel type of question, right? Mm. It's like self identification. Yeah, what do you identify with versus what you actually should identify with, and what does that say? Yeah. And is that appropriation versus? Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's. It began as a desire to raise awareness, and he was willing to kind of <laughs> pretend. Was he pretending for a, a positive reason versus a negative reason? And then, once he be, began to gain monetary benefit from it, and now it became his his motives are perceived and scrutinized more. You know, I think it just started because it was it was easy for him to break into the business yeah. as a Native American in these you know be westerns in the 20s and 30s because they always needed yeah somebody who could play that role and be like a decent actor yeah yeah i think of like uh anthony quinn who's played native americans and, and greeks <laughs> and, and greeks and genghis khan the uh in our um we've got a weird 
so sharp-eared listeners might know that sometimes when we mention people, uh, they meet their demise here in the podcast. You know, he's Trump, been dead for ten years, so we're good. Trump's family has been pretending to be uh, um, Swedish for two decades, <laughs> so, two just centuries, yeah, or whatever long it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so am I correct? Wait, is the FBI going to come after us now, guys? Secret Service? They don't, they don't listen to this podcast. Uh, Gary either. Trump. Oh, different uh, Trumps. Okay. Liz Plummer in North Hollywood. So we are at our midpoint here, and I want to tell you about something awesome. Uh, for you, the listeners of the Mount Rushmore podcast, Audible is offering a free, free audiobook download with a free, free 30-day trial to give you, you, the opportunity to check out their service. With Audible, you can get a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial by going to www.audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. You might want to try The Man in the Rockefeller Suit, The Astonishing Rise and Spectacular Fall of a Serial Imposter by Mark Seal. And you can try that or 180,000 other titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, MP3 player, or toaster oven. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Again, that's Audible free! trial.com slash Rushmore for your free audiobook. Guys, ad is over. Now we're imploring you to download, rate, and review all our past episodes and get in the dialogue with us on the Facebook page for the Mount Rushmore podcast or the Instagram page for Mount Rushmore or the Twitter handle for Mount Rushmore. So please do that. Be authentic. Don't be an imposter in our lives and join us in the dialogue. Michael. Your third. My third choice is Frank Abagnale Jr. Ah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, made famous or made popular, I guess, in the 2002 Spielberg movie uh, Catch Me with Catch Me If You Can, as portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio, who is what the number one person that if you want to be portrayed by someone on film, yeah. that people are like, oh yeah, that looks exactly like me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> good, I th- I especially, especially back then, I think it's I think that that mantle may have been passed to Ryan Gosling. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I think that. For for him, just as an actor. When he played Jackie Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it's Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci, okay. Uh, I think that he could play the various ages of which the character... Oh, yeah. He, like, you know, he was probably 25 at the mm-hmm, time or mm-hmm. maybe a little older, but he could look 15. Yeah. Um, Frank uh, was a imposter and a forger. Uh, he started at a cer- super young age, yeah. at like 15. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Initially trying to, uh, he got into some sort of scam that got his dad in trouble mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like buying cars or, or yeah, buy, yeah. buying tires yeah. and then trying to sell them back uh-huh. for, uh, like he'd buy them on credit, try to sell them back for cash. And then his dad was on the hook for mm-hmm. the, the money, $3,200 or something. But he basically realized that he could start, uh, he was a pretty good forger and yeah. he was a pretty good uh, uh he could just take advantage of people yeah. pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's like a, a a famous story where he, um, one of his first kind of major instances was he bought a bank teller's uniform and bought a sign that said out of order uh-huh. and put the sign up in front of like a savings and loan drop box and basically just took people's money. Saying, oh, wow. oh, the Dropbox is out of order. You have to give it to me. And people would just hand them their receipts, wow. you know, after a nightclub closes or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, the restaurant closes. Yeah, they just yeah. hand them all his money and he'd give them a receipt for mm-hmm. X amount of dollars and just walk off yeah. with it. Even though it's like, how is the box out of order? 
I think I that's a great, a great scam artist. Yeah, and uh, the, his ability to kind of identify where people's confidence lies and, mm-hmm. and position himself to be at that intersection of not only is Leonardo DiCaprio kind of a, a square-jawed, you know, cosmetic person who looks somewhat authentic and trustworthy. Remember that Frank Abagnale was prematurely gray. So even as a teenager, he, oh, had, really? he had gray hair. Huh. Or he started to have the salt and pepper hair. That's so interesting. So I think by 18, he was... Or maybe he was 20 years Probably old. Probably looked a lot older than he actually yeah. was. He hmm. was he was a... a he, he feigned a doctor's... <laughs> yeah, certificate. I have, I, I have a quick list of thing of people that he's impersonated yeah. and jobs that he's impersonated. Uh, famously, uh, airline pilot for Pan Am and flew around like mm-hmm. earned like over a million miles yeah. <laughs> in airline. Um, a teaching assistant, a physician, like you said, he impersonated being a doctor. Yeah. In the movie, they have a they have a great kind of section where he's watching Perry Mason. Uh, Oh, no. Learning the lingo. Yeah, uh, uh, Marcus the, Welby, I think, yeah. or something like that. He's like watching to see what they say yeah. on TV and just being like, okay. Then he decides he can get a law degree. And uh-huh. Like all these, like he just able to, whether it's his youthful appearance or like this thing that we've talked about over and over is confidence, mm-hmm. just able to earn someone's trust and earn their confidence and yeah. in turn kind yeah. of screw them over. The, the, seems like the assets that he had were, um, um, he was a likable person, and I think that was one when he was working as a um, I don't know, sorry, I don't even call it the supervising doctor in this amongst a bunch of grad students or people doing their rotations. Yeah, he was like an ER doctor yeah. or something. People just kind of liked him and thought, well, he's 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 got to be his his charm and yeah. his desire to mm-hmm. be the picture of what people wanted that person to be, that trustworthy, um, attractive person. It was, but one thing I loved about that book versus the movie was it examined motivations like any film does of the main character and why they do what they do. But we kind of started discussing the motivations of an imposter. Is it to uh, be, um, can I live the life of those people who you are among that day? Or is it to be, get, get uh, notoriety by being on TV? Mm-hmm. That book, for the most part, Frank just wanted pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be coarse. Yeah. But when he first started... Uh, he got a car, and he needed to get around in that car so you could go get girls. <laughs> he wanted to get on a plane. Uh, so Because flight uh, attendants yeah, are on a fucking yeah. plane. And I think that also I love that how he kind of also hacked the um, bank routing systems. Like he, needed, he, learned, he learned how to forge uh, checks, and he, learned, he got like his own check printer. And he knew that you know, when you cash a check, you have like three days before the check goes from the one bank to another. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get more days if you go to Florida. But so he had to get on a plane. So so that's why he would got, became a flight uh, uh, pilot. So I, I find it fascinating. I love I love the end of his story that he ultimately got hired by the FBI. Yeah. To do the things that he was mm-hmm. that he was for, and then ran like right. a successful company teaching businesses yeah. how to avoid getting ripped off by people yeah. like him. That's there, a, there's a story of how he got out of prison because people looked at him and just assumed he was a investigator from the prisons <laughs> so to investigate the poor conditions in prison so they would just let him out of prison he's like the uh <laughs> he's, he's, it's like in the movie idiocracy when <laughs> when they say like oh he's not yeah i'm not supposed to be here are you sure uh that's what the computer says and they're like okay okay <laughs> <laughs> but it says you're supposed i don't know someone no. else told me well okay so he's sort of like the uh, dark uh, mirror image of barry bremen Right, I think in a lot of ways, uh-huh. like Barry Brendan Bre- Bremen, 
was someone who I think probably had a lot of that same charm and yeah. charisma and somebody people like wanted to believe him yeah. or wanted to help him. Except he it's almost like he used his powers for good instead of evil, right? Yeah. You know, instead of using it to kind of scam people and write hot checks and do all this stuff. Yeah. He kind of used it just to, you know, get on the field during the All-Star Have game and do, yeah. do goofy stuff. I think that's that's an aspect of, like, imposters. That There always seems to be something slightly devious in mm-hmm. whatever you're attempting. Yeah. Uh, like, me, maybe, you know, with Brennan, maybe he didn't have that sort of, like, like a, an evil about him or a deviousness. Same thing with like Millie Vanilli. But right. these other guys, I mean, certainly Faker the robot was out, <laughs> of out, course, out yeah. to destroy Eternia. <laughs> and certainly Frank Aminale was looking to uh, defraud, defraud people and get like, yeah. Yeah, I think imposters tend to fall into either the category of they have some sort of ulterior motive or they're just, just doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah. And Frank Abengale was definitely the person who had all these alter, ulterior motives. And sometimes those ulterior motives had ulterior motives. And. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. I've been in this situation, uh, maybe this is the opposite or perhaps related to this imposter you're behavior. You're in a swamp, and then you're trying to defraud some kids, yeah. and then these then teenagers sw- and a dog come by and demask you. Oh, I wouldn't have and done it. I would have sw- done it, too. <laughs> swamp thing shows up. <laughs> and Adrian Barbeau following closely by, where you feel like you you actually have the role that you have. Like, I've been in situations through my employment or that... Uh, I feel like they don't know that I'm a fraud or that I shouldn't be here. It's imposter syndrome, They're going to think I'm an imposter. You have imposter syndrome. Yeah, imposter syndrome. It's an actual thing where people start to believe that that, everything in their life is a fraud. Well, I I just believe that I'm a fraud sometimes. Oh, well, that's fair enough. It's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Richard, what's your third? My third one is Sarah Edmonds, who was a uh, Canadian female who... Two strikes against her. uh, Well... Who, who moved to the United States, so there's your first imposter right there, uh-huh. trying to pretend to be American, during the Civil War, and decided she was a unionist, and abolitionist, and wanted to fight for um, the Union side during the Civil War. So when she had first moved to the United States, she had moved down because her father had, they were really poor, and her father had uh, was trying to marry, marry her off in an, in an arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. And she said basically, oh, fuck that shit. And uh, went down to the United States and decided it would be easier to live her life as a, a male than as a female because mm. just as a single female, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of things for her to do yeah. that she could do. So she became a uh, Frank Livingston, a uh, what's the name that she took. And Frank Thompson, I'm sorry, my bad. Frank Thompson. And she, wanted, she slash Frank wound up becoming a Bible salesman going oh. around the country, pretty successful at it. Were they squeezable? <laughs> they were fake. They were fake Bibles. They're the ones you open up, and it's just like a bottle of of, of whiskey is inside of it. So she winds up. <laughs> I got the squeezable thing. That's funny. Good job. So the Civil War comes around, and she decides she wants to serve. So she, as uh, Frank Thompson, joins the uh, Union forces as a uh, nurse. There's a big call for nurses at the time, and she winds up being she slash Frank winds up becoming a nurse serving at. According to her, Bull Run, Antietam, several other Vicksburg, several other major battles during the Civil War. Um, eventually, according to her, now this part is a little bit dicey in terms of the actual historical record. She claims that she was a, a spy working for Pinkerton during the Civil War, oh. like one of Pinkerton's spies, uh-huh. and that she went behind the like undercover to Confederate camps as, you know, 
dyeing her skin with nitrate so she could pass as a, a, a male uh, black slave wow. or several other things. Now, there's not any record of this, so it's just basically based on her memoirs. So that part's... Look, if, I, if you can't trust a female dressed as a male, mm-hmm. who can you trust? <laughs> Especially a, bi- a Bible salesman. So she winds up, what winds up happening to her is she winds up con- contracting malaria. And she realizes she can't get treatment for this in the camp mm-hmm. because then they're going to realize she's a female. Oh. So she winds up leaving camp to get treatment at a private hospital. Mm-hmm. When by the time she gets out, she realizes, oh, wait, she, uh, Frank is now wanted for desertion. Oh. So then she starts living her life as a female. Goes back in and volunteers. At this point, they're also looking for female nurses. Mm-hmm. So goes back in and volunteers as a female nurse wow. for the rest of the war. Um, and this all kind of came out because years later, she had picked up some injuries during the war, and she applied for a pension as Frank Thompson. She basically said, I served as Frank Thompson. I did actually serve, so I should be able to get, um, you know, be able to get a, a, a pension based mm-hmm. on, on my service. And at first, they were going to not deny her this based on the fact that, A, you're abroad. Yeah. And then, B, you were a deserter. Yeah. But a lot of her former uh, soldiers that she had fought with basically said, no, we can vouch for her. This is really the true story, and she should be getting her pension. So uh-huh. she is was basically, I think, the only female who received like a, a pension from the uh, from the government after the Civil War mm-hmm. and was like, basically confirmed as an actual soldier in wow. the war. Hmm. Who did you, in your brain, either of you, see when you see this person? Julie Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> I see that with most people whenever. Most people. Do you think that's fascinating? seems like a person who um, is impersonating an imposter for a valiant means or for somebody who's looking for an opportunity and actually, even though Civil War, for a lot of people, was just the kind of best, job or most available job right. in, a, in a time of famine but the it seems like a person who found her her actual identity limited her options right another identity gave her an opportunity to serve and help and gain income yeah this this yeah it opened up this world for like lots of other things she could possibly do and then after the war she winds up getting married to a guy and has uh-huh. like three kids and just winds up living in i think i think near Kansas City uh, and yeah, she winds up being the only uh, Kansas City again. God damn! Did this drop out from your drag uh, choices? <laughs> Famous drag characters, uh, person. By the end, maybe, by the maybe, end of the season, maybe. we'll have just you can just take one person, one pick from any topic, and just reapply them, and they're all they're guys. All the it's the end of the season. We're starting to get a little threadbare here. Did you see Summers B the movie? Like yes, yes, yes. The it posits that you go. People went off to the Civil War and they came back looking entirely different. Like your your wife might not even recognize you or well, something. That's Martin Greer, isn't it? Like the uh, the there's a famous French case. Like the is it? In the, I think it's based off of that. The story, yeah. like in the 16th, 15th mm-hmm. century. Well, I can understand if you got your head headshot yeah, in with a if cannon. You're, if, you're, <laughs> yeah. if you're missing limbs and your face is yeah sideways. I know there's a movie based on Martin Greer and and uh, wow. Gerard Depardieu played played him coming back. And okay, you could see where somebody could look at Gerard Depardieu's face and say, "Yeah, something happened to him. There's <laughs> some sort of injury or something." Face Off was about that. Face right? Off was totally about that. Michael, you're up. Uh, my last choice is Danny Kaye as Hubert Hawkins from the 1956 <laughs> movie The Court Jester. Oh, that's charming. Uh, I this is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Really? Yeah, really? I love. I love 
the court jester. I think I have a really like uh, special Christmas memory of uh, me and uh, my sister and my father going to see it. Uh-huh. Like it was playing at like uh, and you know an old timey theater down on, uh-huh. in Hollywood or something. But we went to go see this and just everything like the word play in this movie is the chalice from the palace. The chalice from the pla- palace is the pellet <laughs> with the poison. And the flag of the dragon is the brew that is true. And uh, uh, the get it got it good. I, I, the get it got it good is what I, yeah. I still do with my sister and my dad and just over and over. But um, in this movie, he plays like an ex carnival uh, kind of entertainer. Yeah. But he's like working within like the, the realm. This is okay. It's set in like kind of medieval England. Yeah. And he's playing a uh, character who's working with a Robin hood sort of band of people trying to overthrow the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's like an impersonator of a king on the throne. He's not the, not the true king. Isn't true. Is isn't on the the throne. It's the, actually this baby. Yeah. It has a purple pimpernel, which is like a birthmark on his butt of like a, so dumb. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, he's kind of like this entertainer, and uh, he's like tasked with a mission um, with this lady Jean um, to kind of escort this baby to safety and to kind of uh, help put him back on the throne. He ends up doing a number of different like impersonations mm-hmm. in it and, and being an imposter in different ways. He yeah. dresses up as an old man. Uh, but his kind of main thing is impersonating uh, Giacomo, who's like the, the court jester who's coming to uh, the palace. And yeah. he, he just goes through, he's just charming and ridiculous throughout this entire thing. Listeners, and Michael is smiling from ear to ear. Has been so <laughs> so happy about this. Um, and throughout throughout the kind of movie, he has to take on different personas within that persona. Yeah. He gets bewitched by this witch, and he has to be charming and dashing. And uh-huh. at the same time, he turns kind of reverts back into like this frightened kind of weighing over his yeah. head character. Um, but like, he's just so good. And yeah. the character is so good, and his, the many roles that he plays within this movie are just mm-hmm. amazing. Danny K, I think, also had his own role that he played. Was he? I think he was gay and not really quite out or something like that. But and I think he, I think also being gay and I think Jewish was a two two identities, two, two strikes against you yeah, back two, in the fifties. Well, yeah, two aspects of his identity that he he. Lucy wasn't Native American, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wait, so you're saying that Kaminsky is a Jewish last name? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and all by by all counts, a Hollywood's biggest asshole. From what I hear. oh really? Yeah, a total douche. I like, I like that we got that in in, in unison, Richard. Because <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't portray it that way. He just comes off as this extremely talented across many boards. Yeah, um, actor and performer and dancer and a comedian and yeah, all you know he hits all the different. It was a time when you had to be all of those things. Yeah, you had to be versatile and yeah, total quadruple as a crooner. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I I think uh, Jerry Lewis I think ripped off his first act of kind of a miming a typewriter thing from Danny Kaye. So he definitely was inspiring um, to a lot of people. So uh, Richard, good luck. You got the last one. All right. So uh, my last one. We're going to to Japan for this one. Oh sweet, Mamoru Samaragochi. He was a is allegedly possibly a Japanese composer who became very famous in the nineties. Um, has had work selected um, for 
celebrations of the memorials of the bombing Hiroshima, Final Fantasy games, Olympic skaters reusing his music. He was also deaf. Oh. And uh, he was, Time Magazine called him a modern day digital age Beethoven. Um, got a lot of recognition that NHK TV after her after the uh, the uh, earthquakes and tsunamis did a special with him where he went around consoling and talking to victims and survivors mm-hmm. of it until in 2014 it came out that in fact he was neither likely the composer of any of the works or deaf oh dear um, he had been a rock musician and dabbled in composing and decided to get into that. Um, got hired on for a, a, a soundtrack gig, realized there's probably in over his head in terms of what he could do. So he went to a professor of music at a music college in Tokyo and said, hey, will you write this for me? You know, I'll pay you whatever percentage of the credit. I'll I pay just, you your teacher's salary. <laughs> for 20 years probably for this like one like, you know, Final Fantasy game or whatever it was. And the guy agreed to it, not really knowing that he was going to be presenting himself as completely deaf. Did he team up with Stevie Wonder? Now who, it's who you you suppose it's you funny, isn't blind. It's funny that you mentioned this. See, Uh-oh. now that hearing and reading this story and re- being reminded of it, because I do remember when this first happened, I, I don't. I feel slightly vindicated about this. I feel like okay, here's another slight tick. On the possibility that this could happen. This is just confirmation bias for Richard. <laughs> and That's yeah, inductive this, reasoning. This, this other thing obviously proves this because uh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, within the same realm yeah. of uh, study. Uh, so yeah, when a Japanese figure skater was going to be using uh, his music, the actual composer stepped forward and say, "Look, we can't. I can't keep. I, we can't keep this lie up anymore." Had a press conference, kind of exposed the whole thing. Now. Um, Samura Gochi actually claimed that, well, yeah, I didn't write the music, most of it. Maybe I wrote a little bit of it. Sorry about that, although I did write some of it. Oh, no, yeah, by the way, I am mostly deaf. I'm totally deaf in one ear, and I'm kind of deaf in the other ear, and I have a hearing aid. Um, that, 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 when we're talking about, we talked about, like, how much balls it takes to pull off a, yeah. an imposter thing. To be, not just, not just be pretending to be a composer. But then adding the element of, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm deaf yeah. onto it. Yeah. That is just next level balls right there. Yeah. One thing he did not claim or should never have claimed to have is a lack of balls. Yeah. Because that is just chutzpah <laughs> 101. Wow. That was pretty cool. I wouldn't, I would, would love for you to indulge me when I name uh, my two uh, favorites. One is myself. Uh, I had a, a, I volunteered for some dumb reason to portray the character Fake Adam West, who's called Fake Adam West, at a uh, screening of the Batman 66 film. And while there, a woman who was wearing a makeshift like uh, um, Wonder Woman costume summoned me over and started yelling at me. And she said that she was a former member of the CIA and what I was doing, pretending to be Adam West, was illegal. And she knows Adam West's... Uh, widow and shame on me for trying to be adam west and if the widow saw me i could cause her great trauma so at that point i i told her i never told anybody that i was adam west i was always saying i was fake adam west right and realized that she was the crazy one but i also get her on the show (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, we, I'm sure we can. I also realized that I was standing there in tights. And so I was also being pretty stupid. And then my favorite actual non-me imposter is, um, was the convicted child killer who made a career out of impersonating a dead member of Sha Na Na. What? Um, yeah. There was um, a guy by the name of Elmer, Edward Elmer Solly, who gets arrested. Uh, um, Elmer Edward Solly impersonated Danny C., a former member of Sha Na Na in Florida and performed on stage with doo-wop groups and performed on stage with doo-wop groups. So was somewhat hiding in plain sight after years of being on the lam for murdering his two-year-old daughter and his girlfriend. Um, Tight group that Shana Na who doesn't <laughs> recognize someone, someone else is performing with a group of five of them. That's right. Um, Shana Na threatened a lawsuit but didn't follow through because they didn't want to give him any more attention than he deserved. Um, he was arrested in 2001, incarcerated, then released on good behavior in 2003. Um, I just think that's so hilarious, <laughs> dude. And in a way, it kind of says... Don't, only in Florida. Only in Florida, totally. That's Florida, man, yeah, right we, there. Wrong episode. But it, I think it's fascinating because it's kind of like if you don't want to talk to, to people about your career, tell them they're a systems analyst or something like that. Like mm-hmm. if... And tell them what my job is. Yeah. If you, People's eyes glaze people over eyes glaze instantly. Over. I'm still not exactly sure what it is. I've known you for so, a decade. It's only been 12 years, Rich. <laughs> but this guy, I mean, I don't know. I, if I were the police, I would think, it can't be this. This guy can't be the murderer. Who would do this? Who would say he was this who was not a former member of Shana? All right, so we'll, let's move on. And uh, thank you guys for such awesome choices. They were very. Uh, they seemed very heartfelt and inspired. Um from each of you. Um, from Richard, I am going to take, just because it gave me um, um, so much joy, and I can see the movies probably coming out pretty soon, uh, the Barry Bremen Sports. I think that's really awesome. There's a good 30 for 30 short, by the to- way, ESPN Is has. it really? Yeah, I make t- sure you watch it. It's really good. Um, and then from Michael, um, Danny Kay, the court jester, just due to the sheer joy that you had on your face the whole time. And then... Um, Faker from Masters of the Universe. And you know, just to its sheer ubiquity and my the venom that was spitting from my mouth when they claimed that they were better than Paul McCartney, Millie Vanilli. So there's three for Michael, one great one for Richard that's coming soon to a theater near you. And this has been the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff. And I am Richard. I too am Richard now. Oh shit. <laughs> and forever. <laughs>